All right, if you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, and then we're going to start uh, in verse 12. Now, some of you may be going, well, well, what about Joseph? Well, we will get back to Joseph, okay? But it is Palm Sunday, and so on Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, we'll be preaching some sermons a little bit different from the book of John, again, focusing on the resurrection, and uh, specifically today, Palm Sunday is a really, really big deal, all right? Uh, whether we are quarantined or whether we're together, uh, this is something that we will celebrate Celebrate from now until Christ comes back. Uh, it starts off with this question today. Have you ever watched something in your life that escalated quickly? All right. Have you ever watched something in your life that escalated quickly? Uh, don't judge me, but I always think of escalated quickly. I think of the original movie Anchorman. Okay. Part one, uh, where they get into the fight between the news teams and uh, sure enough, they come back and they're like, whoa, that, that escalated quickly. All right. Just for the record, that's what we're looking for. All right. Something that started off small, but then all of a sudden escalated into a bigger situation. I've always thought of like a fire, okay, where uh, when you have a lighter, you light that lighter and it's very contained, it's very set, but when that lighter is brought to kindling or that lighter is brought to a piece of newspaper or that lighter is brought to, to brushwood or whatever, all of a sudden it turns into something that escalates quickly. It turns into something that becomes very big, very fast. Now, there was a moment like that that's happened in my life that some of you in our church may have heard this story before, uh, but it was a moment where things escalated quickly. So Autumn and I have been dating for about a month or two at this point, and uh, we'd been calling each other. This is back when they used to charge you per minute on your cell phone calls. And so Autumn and I are talking back and forth, having great discussions, but we're talking like all night long. And so, I mean, again, it's just taking forever, and, and uh, all of a sudden the bill shows up, and we talked over our minutes, and the bill was a couple hundred dollars for what we had to pay on this little cell phone bill, and we lived in the same town. I mean, it was ridiculous. This bill was so high. So one of my buddies worked at a cell phone store, and I'm telling you, Autumn and I weren't just in love. We were in love. I mean, I'm telling you, we really just was so easy and was so special. I just could tell that she was the one, and I, I felt like she felt the same way about me. Well, sure enough, things escalated quickly. We go to the cell phone store, because one of my buddies is working at the cell phone store, and uh, we're there and trying to get a new cell phone plan so that we don't get charged as much, and here's what my buddy says. He goes, well, you know are you guys going to get married? He goes, because if you are, there's a new cell phone plan with T-Mobile where you can talk to each other for free and won't be charged any minutes. And Autumn is over there on the other side getting a cell phone plan together. And she goes, you know, I think that sounds like a really good idea. And I'm over there on the other side. And all of a sudden, I just feel bum, 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 bum. And I can feel my heart beating in my chest, just bum, 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 faster and faster. All of a sudden, my buddy Cody looks at me. He's the one who's selling us the cell phone plan. He looks and he goes, bro, are you okay? And I'm like, I think I just need a minute to think about this. And all of a sudden, I like turn and walk out the door. Well, here's the deal. Autumn then is like, oh, no. Does he not see a future with me? We walk out the door. It's in a little uh, shopping center in Lubbock, Texas, next to a TJ Maxx, all right? Some of you Maxinistas out there, all right? This was in front of a TJ Maxx. The moment that escalated quickly, that turned into a forever moment for my wife and I, happened in front of a TJ Maxx. We're up there, up against the brick wall, and I'll never forget, I'm sitting up against the brick wall, and she says, do you not want to marry me? And I said, no, I do. Do you want to marry me? She said, I would love to marry you. She goes, I think this is for real. And here's what's crazy. We hadn't been dating very long. Now, some of you are like, that gives me a license. I'm calling somebody right now. Love is blind. Whatever that show is on Netflix, right? I'm back in the call, right? Don't do that, all right? The Pastor Zach did not tell you you could do that, all right? But that moment, 
The spirit was present. We had the discussion. And then a few months later, we got engaged. And then we got married. Things escalated very quickly. And when I see that brick wall in front of the TJ Maxx in Lubbock, Texas, I've got great memories of how the Lord started my life from that point. Now, the cell phone store is not what caused Autumn and I to get married, but it is a part of our story. When it comes to Jesus headed to the cross for us, and then that moment of glorious resurrection, you got to remember, the story of Lazarus that we're going to read about a little bit today, Lazarus is the spark that finally sends Jesus into Jerusalem where the whole world is watching. Look at what happens in John chapter 12, and let's read verses 9 through 11. It says this, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, look at this, but also to see Lazarus, underline also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans, look at this, to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Stop right there for just a minute. In John chapter 11, something happens that changes the world. In John John chapter 11, a dude named Lazarus dies of an illness and he is buried and put in a tomb, embalmed for several days. And here's what happens. Jesus shows up at the funeral. The, the uh, sisters look at him and say, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. We've watched you heal the sick before, but we've never seen you raise the dead. We've watched you again turn five loaves of bread into and, uh, five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish into meals for thousands, but we've never seen you do this. And Jesus says, if you have faith, you'll see things you never dreamed of. The women have faith. They roll away the stone. And then all of a sudden, Jesus calls forth Lazarus to come out of the tomb. He calls the dead man out of the tomb. Now, here's what happens. When Lazarus comes out, the whole crowd goes crazy because they've never seen anything like this. But the craziness of that moment is because of what happens with the fallout. Jesus was the miracle worker. He was already famous. But Lazarus, Lazarus was the walking, talking miracle the one who had been dead but was now alive. And here's what happens. They can't just plot to kill Jesus anymore. Now they got to kill the dead man too. They got to kill Lazarus because he is symbolic. He is a walking, talking testimony that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, just for the record, there are some of you that would say, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to put a miracle to death? You got to see this through the eyes of the ancients. Man, the Pharisees start looking at Jesus and they go, look at this, guys. If he can feed 5,000 people with one sack lunch, then what's to stop him from feeding an army? If he can heal the sick and heal people of their, of their wounds, man, what's to stop him from healing soldiers on the battlefield? Man, if he is one who can speak with such passion that it can inspire revolution all across the country, what's to stop him from conquering the world? And if he can raise the dead... What's to stop him from moving against the Romans to where the Romans would then take away our temple? That's what it says at the end of John chapter 11. Jesus changes the world in an instant. By raising Lazarus from the dead, a spotlight is focused on him. And as he's about to walk into Jerusalem, they're also looking to meet this man, Lazarus. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. At any given time, God can turn a moment into a movement. Let me say that again. 
At any given time, God can turn a moment into a movement. Man, we know that well right now with coronavirus, don't we? What can start off as something so small can all of a sudden become something that has global implications from top to bottom. At any given time, God can turn a moment into a movement. That doesn't just happen on a societal level. It can also happen in your heart as well. All it takes is one moment with Jesus Christ, and it can change you for eternity. I'll never forget when we came to D.C. for the very first time, one of the first places I wanted to go visit was the Holocaust Museum. I'd always heard great things about it. And honestly, when we walked through the doors, it was beautiful. But I didn't quite understand what all the fuss was about. And people used to tell me, it's so memorable. And they said, you'll know at the end of the tour. And it was beautiful. I love getting to read the stats. And not only that, man, it just tugs at your heartstrings. But the moment that hooks you is at the very end of the tour when you walk into the shoe room. Some of you in this room know when you walk into that shoe room for the very first time. These were the shoes that were pulled off of the Jewish people just before they were put in gas chambers and ovens. They thought the leather was more valuable than the human life. What they have done is they have gathered together shoes that were found at these different encampments, and that old leather that now is decades old When you walk into the shoe room, the blast hits your nostrils, and anytime you smell old leather, I don't know about you, but that is all I can think of is that shoe room, that the people were valued so little. That was a moment that turned into a movement in my life, something that I would never forget. When you meet Jesus Christ, it's not just something that affects you for your lifetime. When you meet Jesus Christ, it affects you for eternity. So it begs our big question today. So how does Jesus bring about spiritual revolution? How does he create a stir within us so that we start one way and then we end up another? I don't believe there's any better example of that than what happens on Palm Sunday. Look with me, if you will, at the spiritual revolution that's about to start in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. It says, so the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Underline Hosanna. It says, blessed is the king of Israel. Now Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Look at this. Only after, underline only after, Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done those things to him. Stop right there for just a minute. We start off with this passage with Jesus rolling into Jerusalem. And the reason we celebrate Palm Sunday as a church every single year is because it is the beginning of the end of the rescue mission. He goes into Jerusalem and he is going in Jerusalem to be crucified. He's going in Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins. And as he rolls into town, they wave their palm branches. The entirety of humanity is focused on him, the one who could raise the dead, the one who's raised Lazarus, and they cry out, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna means God save now. What we are doing in this passage, or what the, what the people of Israel are doing in this passage is crying out, God, save us now. Jesus, we believe that you are the Messiah. We, are, we believe you are the one that God has sent, and they cry out to him as he rides into town. Get this on a donkey. Now, if you were coming in to be a military hero, 
The donkey is probably not what you use to inspire fear into your rivals, okay? The donkey is what you use if you're coming in as a person of peace. Jesus rides in to fulfill scripture. And it says at the end, the disciples are watching all this unfold, but they don't have a clue what it is that they're seeing. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize how in tune with scripture, how fulfilling a prophecy every single one of these moments really were. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does Jesus bring about a spiritual revolution? Number one, through eternal moments. Through eternal moments. An eternal moment is not something that is written in pencil. An eternal moment is something that only the hand of God can write, and it is written in ink. Not just for now, but written for all of eternity. In this passage, Jesus moves. Jesus has this moment that becomes a movement. And afterwards, the disciples continue scratching their head and going, oh my gosh, he was fulfilling those scriptures I studied as a little boy or as a little girl. The song we sang earlier, keep on getting better, keep on getting better. That's the picture that we have here in this passage, that Jesus, over time, the story unfolds and is deeper and deeper all the way into eternity. If you're taking notes, write this down. The mind of God is not subject to one generation. His ways are eternal. The mind of God is not subject to one generation. His ways are are eternal. I've got a way that I'd like to illustrate that for you today, and that's through a picture uh, that was taken at Waterfront Church's very, very first outing. This is actually one of the most precious pictures uh, that we have from the early days of the church. The church, by the way, is negative two months old at this point, all right? It does not exist, basically, uh, and uh, I'll never forget, I met with our worship leader, I met with my wife and our worship leader's wife, and I said, hey, we need to do something where we get together, and so the picture that you see up here is the very first Waterfront Church church outing. We, of course, went to a Washington Nationals baseball game, uh, and while we were at that Washington Nationals baseball game, um, we had everybody that we could think of at that point, we brought them together. Now, here's what's nuts. This would end up being an eternal moment. In that picture is one Bradley Morris. Now, Brad Morris would end up being the very first member of Waterfront Church, and Brad and I would meet together on the floor of the House of Representatives and do the church's very first Bible study out of the book of Jeremiah. In that same picture is Bailey Dover. Bailey Dover, we had met her at a deal that we had done trying to, uh, trying to tell other people about Waterfront Church, and I'll never forget, we presented to the group there were like 10 people total that were interested in even giving to our project that night. And then five days into our move to D.C., we got a call from Bailey. She said, I was at that fundraiser. And she said, I moved here to D.C. and I don't know anybody. She said, can we come and can I come and hang out with you? We said, sure thing. I said, my wife is actually unpacking our stuff. You want to go hang out with her and unpack at the house? And Bailey came to our house and helped us unpack our luggage from just moving here to D.C. It was crazy the way that the Lord put that together. Now, Bailey and her husband, Austin, are the directors of our parents' class that we do here uh, in, uh, at Waterfront. In that picture is also precious Kylie Mills. Kylie Mills was one of our college students when we worked in Lubbock, Texas, but when we moved out here to D.C., she was working as a staffer. Kylie was the first person ever to pray to receive Christ at Waterfront Church. And then, not pictured but present, are Jordan and Casey Long. Casey's back there running sound for us this side. They're running video for us tonight. Jordan and Casey, 
We had heard about them as a possibility to come to our church. And uh, I was literally sitting at this baseball game with our worship leader sitting next to me, and he was telling me about this amazing couple, Jordan and Casey Long. And then all of a sudden he stopped and said, they're sitting four rows down from us. That's a for real story. They were sitting down just beneath us, and he goes, I need to go talk to them right now. Casey's running sound for, running video for us tonight. Jordan ended up being the very first baptism in the history of our church, our first chairman of deacons, and Jordan is now the very first Waterfront Church, uh, Waterfront, or our first DC resident board member that we've had here at Waterfront. That picture was eternal, written in ink by the hand of Almighty God. Only he could have known. At first glance, it just looks like a baseball game that we put together because we didn't have anything else to do at that point. But God's ways are higher than our ways. His ways are eternal. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize just how special Palm Sunday was. It begs this question. Have you ever looked for God's fingerprints in your past? Have you ever looked for God's fingerprints in your past? You can do this as easy as pausing the sermon right now and flipping back over uh, to uh, your Facebook profile pictures. Go all the way back to the beginning and begin to scroll through and look at all these amazing things that God has done through your life. Look back at the twists and turns that your life has taken so that you can know that you are exactly where he desires for you to be. Remember the way that he has blessed you. Look for God's fingerprints in your past and it sparks revolution in your heart of discipleship. Look at what happens next in John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. So after this, it says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus, there he is again, underline the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Underline continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given them this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Now stop there for just a minute. You don't think Lazarus was a catalyst? Look at the way he's talked about over and over again in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. They come back and it says the people who were there, the firsthand eye eyewitnesses, first accounts of these people who were there to watch the dead man hop out of the tomb. They are there in Jerusalem and going, let me tell you my story. Eyewitness, let me tell you exactly what's happened. This is not just indigenous to John chapter 12. Jesus constantly used one person's testimony to bring about revolution, many cases for the entire town and in some cases for the entire country. Look at what happens here. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does Jesus bring about spiritual revolution? Number one, through eternal moments. And number two, through genuine testimonies. Through genuine testimonies. The other example of this that comes to mind immediately is the woman at the well. In John chapter four, it says that Jesus is tired. He's been traveling, sits down at the well, and he sits down there at a time uh, when some unsavory characters come to the well. All of a sudden, he ends up meeting this woman, talking to her, telling her the story of her life without her even telling him anything about herself. And all of a sudden, there is this spiritual collision that she has that sparks revival in the entire town. It says in John chapter four that her testimony is, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. What she's saying in that passage is not just that Jesus was some fortune teller, but this man knowing what I've done, knowing the sin that I've committed, knowing that I'm not perfect, still desired to have a conversation with me and desires my spiritual well-being. Now listen, revival takes place not just through those eternal moments that happen from heaven, 
But when we as believers in Jesus Christ share the word of our testimony, when we tell others our Jesus story, it wasn't just the woman at the well. This is what happens with Paul everywhere. Everywhere Paul goes, he starts telling his story. Everywhere Paul goes, he would start off by talking. They'd go, man, Paul, tell us about it. Tell us how you were once a violent man. Tell us about your past, how you were once a persecutor of Christians. Tell us, Paul, again about how Jesus showed up to you and spoke to you on the road to Damascus. And Paul would say over and over again, I consider my life nothing if I can just finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Man, that's the goal of the disciple, that we share that testimony with genuine life change because that's what's used to spark revolution. Even in the Old Testament, it's the story of Jonah. When Jonah shows up to speak at Nineveh, he has just been spit out of the belly of a whale that he's been in for three days. His skin is probably bleached. His hair is probably completely destroyed at that point by whatever enzymes are on the inside of that fish. And when all of a sudden he steps up out of the whale, man, every news reporter is in his face wanting to get his story, wanting to hear his firsthand account. Now, there are some of you that would say, there's all sorts of people on the web right now that are willing to tell their Jesus stories. But listen to me, revival happens when the story is genuine. When people watch you and say, man, there is something different about you There is something that makes you special. There's something about you where you truly seem to enjoy the product. You ever watched an endorsement before? And maybe it's a professional athlete, maybe it's an actor or actress, maybe it's a politician, and you watch the endorsement video and you're like, yeah, they don't use the product. You ever done that before? I mean, you just go, there is no stinking way they use this product, okay? They are endorsing this because of the dollars, all right, and not because they actually believe in this thing. Did you know that that's how people look at Christians sometimes too? They look at you and they go, man, you talk a good game, but you got something that you are are gaining from this. Maybe it's not necessarily money. Maybe it's clout. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's relationships. You know what's going to spark revival in our community and in yours? What's going to spark revival is when they look you in the eye and they go, you really believe this stuff? You clung to Christ when there was no hope. You clung to faith when it seemed like all hope had been lost. That's when they look at you and say, I want what you have. I want to know this Jesus. So it begs the question, or excuse me, now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Now there are some times when I think about sharing my testimony, and it just makes me nervous, even as a pastor. It makes me nervous at the thought of talking to people uh, about this thing that is, so, that is so powerful within me. I begin to think, what if they reject me? What if they don't listen to me? Well, Paul felt the exact same way. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Some great verses to memorize if you're a little bit timid about sharing your faith. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and what? And not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed also in our body. The picture in that passage is this. The reason that God chooses us to be the bearers of his message is because the world looks at us and says, that power could not have come from you. When we are weak, he is strong. We are jars of clay where he is a rod of iron, where he is strong strength and power and glory. 
With us, the world looks at us and goes, this didn't come from you, it came from somewhere else. And in this passage, Paul says that's exactly the way God wants it. There's some of you in this room or watching this video who are at a place in your life where you would say, could God even use me? In fact, this is interesting. Over the years in ministry, I got to have a lot of these similar discussions with men and women who were shut in, who either were shut in at home because of old age or illness, or they were in nursing homes. Can I tell you what's interesting? Every stinking one of us on the planet right now understand that difficulty, that itching that you have to get out, that desire to see the outside world, to be around people again. And then all of a sudden, the enemy begins to whisper in your ear, you can't really make a difference. There's nothing left for you to do. Don't you realize this passage lets us know there's always something we can do. There's always someone we can tell the story to. Even if we can just pray for somebody, we can still do that. We have this treasure, the hope for salvation in jars of clay and earthen vessels to show the world that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. No matter where you are watching this from, our God is so big and so powerful. If there is breath in your body, there is still work that God has for you to do. Trust him. And then when we do what we can, the world looks at us and says, when power flows out of us, that did not come from you. You were just the vessel. It begs the question, do you have a Jesus story to tell? Do you have a Jesus story to tell? If so, tell it. There's a billion other videos on Facebook. You might as well post yours, right? There's a billion other, maybe 10 billion other videos on YouTube. You might as well post yours, right? Man, there's a whole bunch of people in your cell phone that you could scroll down through the library and make a phone call to. In fact, I can guarantee you there are some people who have not answered your call in a really long time that might just answer today. Flip through, click the button, and share your Jesus story. Maybe, just maybe, they'll say to you, how did you know I needed a call today? How did you know I needed to hear this? Now flip back over to John chapter 12, and let's look at verse 19. John chapter 12, and we'll finish up in verse 19. Here's what it says. So we got this great day. They wave the palm branches. They cry out, Hosanna, God save now. They call him Messiah. Blessed is the king of Israel. He's riding in on a donkey. He's not trying to conquer anybody. The enemy was not the Romans or the, uh, or the Pharisees. The enemy was sin and death that Jesus came to conquer on our behalf. Man, the eternal moments are taking place. Genuine testimonies are spilling out about Lazarus and about what Jesus did for him. But look at verse 19. It says, in response to all this, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. Underline, look at how the whole world has gone after him. In the midst of all this good, the haters are still present. And can I tell you something that has messed with me since I was a kid? God having the power to decimate them with the snap of his fingers allows them to be there. Now, there may be some of you here that would say, why? Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and bring it all back together? Because with spiritual revolution, 
The haters have a part to play too. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does Jesus bring about spiritual revolution in society or in our personal hearts? Number one, through eternal moments. Number two, through genuine testimonies. And number three, through a loud opposition. Write that down. Through a loud opposition. God allows the opposition to be present because when the opposition is present, it shows the power and the awesomeness of Almighty God. If you don't take anything else from today, write this down. Are you ready? The gospel is not fragile. Write that down. The gospel is not fragile. Opposition is allowed because our God is a big dude and he can handle it. The gospel is not fragile. It's not something that has to, again, exist in the glass case. Did you ever go to your grandmother's house or your grandparents' house or, or, or somebody in your family that had that glass case? My grandmother used to collect elephants, and so we would go to her house, and she had this glass case, and I'm telling you, all I wanted to do was just take that elephant. That's all I wanted to do was touch the glass elephant and then just take it somewhere, and if I'm being honest, hit it with a hammer. I mean, that really is probably the reason it was behind the glass case, okay, because that's what we wanted to do. But here's the deal. It was set apart because my grandmother knew if we got too close, then we could end up destroying it. The gospel is not the glass elephant in grandma's cabinet. The gospel is durable. The gospel was built for eternity, written into existence by God Almighty. And in this case, Jesus, even though he could snap his fingers and be done with them, Allows them there because when God allows opposition, listen to this, they have a part to play in your development. When God allows opposition, they have a part to play in your development. There's some of you, not some, there are a lot of you who have uncertainty in your employment today. This week has been one of the most dire, if not the most dire in the history of our country and some of you are looking to heaven and saying, God, why is this opposition here? I can't give you the answer to that today. But what I can tell you is this. Our God's promise is if there's anything good that comes from sin in this world, that he will find it and he will use it for your good, for the good of your friends and family, and he'll use it for the good of the kingdom as well. God is good and he makes good things. His plans are good. And the truth is, when opposition is around, he will use it for your good. The gospel is not fragile. I've been praying for you extra this week if that's you struggling with employment. I just want you to know that. You've been heavy on my heart this week. Don't give up and trust God. It's gonna seem like a frivolous story in light of that, but hopefully it'll speak to you. The first time I really understood opposition happened when I was playing Little League Baseball. I'll never forget, I'm playing Little League out by the South Plains Mall in Lubbock, Texas, all right? And the South Plains Mall, like most Little League fields, had a fence, and uh, the fence that you were trying to hit the home runs over, uh, the fence was around the backside, there was a strip of cars, and then there was the big mall parking lot just right across the street from there. And so there's a lot of traffic going back and forth, but a lot of the parents would park right there up against the outfield fence. And back in those days, I was the star center fielder. I, sorry, I was the center fielder, all right? And so anyway, I'll never forget, I'm out there playing center field, and that particular year was my all-star year. Okay, made the all-star team, hit a home run in uh, one of the all-star games, just so you know, it's sad when you gotta go all the way back to Little League uh, to have a sports moment. But uh, back then, I was playing pretty good. And I'll never forget, we're in the middle of the season, 
I'm there back at the fence, and a ball's coming my way. And what I used to do is I used to flap my glove like this, okay, to, uh, except with left hand. I would flap my glove like this to get ready for the ball to come in. And I'll never forget, the ball's coming in. I'm flapping my glove. I'm up against the fence, and about from right here to where the, uh, the wood is, all of a sudden, a dude honks his horn right before the ball comes down. I'm like 10, okay? And he honks the horn. There's opposition. And all of a sudden, I go, <gasps> and I turn and jump. And I see in the car, the ball falls down to the ground, and the dude in the car is going, yay, apparently it was somebody on his kid's team that had just hit the ball, and all of a sudden the ball turns to the ground. Well, I pick up the ball, throw it in, another run comes around to score, and because of that, it looks like we're going to lose the game. Well, we go back in, and it's our turn to bat, and I'm talking to my dad, and I'm like, dad, why would he do that? Why would he do that? And I'll never forget my dad was a good dad. He looked at me, and he didn't go, son, I'm so mad on your behalf. He looked at me, and he goes, son, they're going to honk. He said, when you get to high school, he said, if you're still playing, they're going to do a whole lot worse than honk at you. He said, you're going to have to learn how to block out the opposition and catch the ball. He said, next time, watch the ball. Don't listen for the honk. And then, because he was a good dad, he went around the back, and I'm pretty sure he beat the crud out of the dude in the car. I'm being 100% honest with you. Talk to my mom. She'll tell you. Now, listen. That actually, in a lot of cases, I think, symbolizes the heart of God. We come back and say, why, God, would you allow this? Why would you allow this opposition? And he says, it's for your good. And by the way, I'm going to go beat up that dude in the parking lot. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Some of you say, well, you're being harsh there, Pastor. My Bible says in the book of Romans, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God reserves judgment, but he says, let me be the one to handle it. Let me be the one who handles the future of the opposition. As for you, if it's been allowed, it's for your good. It's for the good of those around you, and it's for the good of the kingdom. If that doesn't describe corona, I don't know what does. I got one more verse to share with you. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, sometimes it's good to flip to the back of the book to remember how it is that we win this thing in the end. Here's what it says. When the end times finally take place, it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says the, basically the roadmap for victory for the disciples. It says, uh, verse 11, they overcame him. Him, uh, him is sin, death, and the devil. They overcame him, look at this, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimonies, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Right here in this passage, we get a picture of the end, no matter when that is, either in the near future or either in the distant future. However it happens, it happens this way. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, it has to be the shed blood of Jesus Christ that gives us the hope of salvation, that covers our sin. But then it says by the word of their testimony, those genuine testimonies that we just talked about, and not just testimonies, but it says they did not love their lives even so much as to shrink from death. We are living in one of these times when the world wants us to curl up into a ball and give up. Now, just for the record... Today, one of the most courageous things you can do is stay stinking home. 
It's incredibly courageous for you to listen to the word that's been spoken over you and figure out a way to win. Figure out a way where the gospel can still be preached. Figure out a way to still stay effective. Figure out a way to pray for those who are in need. And don't stink and give up, even unto death. You know why they didn't love their lives even unto death? Because their eternity was set. That's how. By the blood of the lamb, their heart was covered by the word of their testimony. They weren't afraid to speak about Jesus. But also on the inside, they knew that their eternity was set. They knew that no matter how deep, dark, or difficult this world becomes, no matter how dark or difficult employment becomes, no matter how hard it is to pay the bills, no matter how hard it is to get out of bed in the morning, in the end, We win if we've got Jesus. We win if we've trusted him. Do you truly believe that today? Do you truly believe that he's the one way to be saved? Do you truly believe that he overcame sin and death in that glorious day upon the cross? And then that glorious day when he rolled the stone away and the tomb was empty. Our final question, are you part of the revolution? Are you part of the revolution? Are you ready to rock? Guys, I love you so much. This has been a hard, hard week. Trust God. Be covered by the blood of the lamb. Speak powerfully the word of your testimony and then know that your eternity is set. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. At our church, we call this our time of reflection nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anybody that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to take the time to look back through my profile pictures. I need to take the time to think back on my life And I need to take some time and look for God's fingerprints. There are some things he's doing in my life that are eternal. You realize when you do that, it fills you with hope for today. You realize that he is at work in your life. And those whispers of the devil that everything's fallen to pieces just begin to fade away. We remember that he's in charge. And we can look back at pictures like the baseball game I showed you. And remember, he was building something special. I didn't realize it at the time, but that baseball picture is like a packet of seeds before a tree was planted. I had no idea the great things that God had in store, the friendships that I would have for a lifetime that are in that picture or in the case of Jordan and Casey, just even in that stadium that same day. I want to encourage you. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to go and take time and look back for God's fingerprints in my life. If that's you, I'd just like for you to commit that by raising your hand where you are right now. Thank you. It takes courage. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But before the sun goes down today, make your commitment to Almighty God that you're going to look through those pictures and you're going to watch for God's fingerprints. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I already know that God has been a part of my past. I already know he's done great things for me. I could name them off for you right now, but it's been a long time since I told somebody. 
It's been a long time since I truly shared that story with someone. Or maybe it's you or you'd say, Zach, I've got a great story to tell and the Holy Spirit has put someone in my heart and in my mind that I need to just pause this and share that with them right now. If that's you, in either of those cases, I just want to pray for you that you'd have courage to share your Jesus story. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. God, before the sun goes down tonight, give me the courage to reach out and share that story. As long as there's breath in your body, there's still work you can do. And you know what? If you're at a point where you can't speak, maybe you can type. And if you're at a point where you can't speak or type, then you can pray. There's still stuff that God has for you to do. We just have to trust him. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? There is heavy opposition all around me. Maybe it has to do with illness. Maybe it has to do with finances. Maybe it has to do with job. Maybe it has to do with the living situation that you're in right now. Remember, if God has allowed it, then he can use it for your good, for the good of those around you, and for the good of the kingdom. If God's allowed opposition, and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would have courage today? If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But your simple prayer is this. God, open my eyes to what you're doing and give me courage to finish the race. I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll stand together and sing two more songs in worship. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much that we are here together celebrating Palm Sunday Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us. If we are in a moment where you are stirring our hearts toward revival, stirring our hearts toward spiritual revolution, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we could see those eternal moments, those fingerprints that you have, the moments that the disciples spoke about that only after they could fully understand. Lord, help us to look back even right after this service is over, to look back and see that you have been at work and that you are good, crafting good things. Lord, I also pray for those calling out to you in genuine testimony. Lord, give them a double portion of courage as they reach out to those around them and share about who you are. And Lord, I pray for those who are in a season of great opposition. Lord, if you have allowed it, then it can still be good for your good, for the good of those around us, and the good of the individual as well. As well, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give them a double portion of courage, that you would give them a double portion of encouragement, and Lord, that you would use them powerfully, that you would form them to be something very useful. God, we have this amazing gospel in an earthen vessel in a jar of clay to show that your power comes from you and not from us. Second Corinthians has rang so true in my mind through this time period. Lord, we can do nothing on our own. We claim that to you right now. We can do nothing on our own. But you, God, in you is life and you is hope and use peace. God, I pray 
Use these earthen vessels for your glory and give us encouragement as we go through this time of frailty. We love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.